Good morning. Today, scripture reading is taken from Acts chapter 28, verses 15 and 16, and verses 30 and 31. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came to, into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Verse 30, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is God's word. Well, good morning, church. I trust you've had a blessed Christmas and are prepared to end the new year well. I am going to try and help our team up there. I'm always at fault when things aren't working, just so it's clear. We are uh, going to be looking at the very last message in the book of Acts. We have taken all year to walk through this book. And I uh, confess to you, if there was any way possible, I could have gotten one of the other pastors to preach this message. I would have done so. You probably don't consider this because I think some of you think that the pastor has prepared a message just for you. Uh, that can happen if you're not preaching through a book. But when you are preaching through a book, then it's more likely that God has prepared a message just for this pastor. Uh, this morning, I want to talk about uh, money. The, you know, in the West, there's some different nuances in culture. In the West, we, we think we have a lot of great people, and we put our great people on money. And sometimes it's ironic especially in America, when you put your great people on money and then the money says, in, in God we trust, that's just irony. So we have so many great people, we have to put their faces on all manner of change. This is five cents, Thomas Jefferson. So the nuanced difference in culture is, I'm not really sure who this is, but he must be the greatest person in the world because he's on every piece of money. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson was the third president of the United States. He is a principal author of the Declaration of Independence. And yeah, so he was quite regal. He was a brilliant lawyer who spoke seven languages and yet was pathologically terrified of speaking in public. In fact, Sherry and I had this conversation earlier because I'm I don't speak seven languages, but I'm afraid of speaking in public. He was so afraid of speaking in public that he took his speeches, wrote them out word for word, and accented the words so that he would put the emphasis on the right syllable. I, I should have accented that one. So, so he, he, he was great and yet suffered from human, private human frailty. He was a fierce defender of freedom of religion. He 
even supported the emancipation of slaves. He was before his time. He was one of the most quotable presidents. Um, I tried to write this in 19th century cursive. Yeah, it's just a font. One of his famous ones is the tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. He also seemed to be a man who was tormented by fears of fragile spirituality. He once said, indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that His justice cannot sleep forever. There is great irony when we make men our idols because we men live with secret anxiety. We live with the flesh that all of us live with. And the biggest challenge for great men is how do great and good men finish well. Thomas Jefferson, in his public life, he supported the abolition of slavery. But in his private life, he owned 187 human beings. Though he was known for his stellar reputation and strong character, he was chronically unfaithful to his wife Martha and even had six children with a slave named Sally Hennings. Though he was running the budget of an entire nation, he couldn't handle his own money and quickly came into great debt because of his taste for expensive European wine. In, in fact, the day he died, his will was opened and he declared in his will that his best and greatest wish would be that at his death, all of his slaves be free, but because he was in such great debt, all of his slaves, including the children that he had with Sally, were sold into slavery. The great man who finished poorly. Dr. Howard Hendricks taught for more than 60 years at Dallas Theological Seminary, and he researched biblical leaders. And of approximately 100 biblical leaders, he determined that 75 of these great men in God's Word finished poorly. 75% of Bible characters finished purely or poorly. This, this ought not to make you feel nervous because it just suggests to us that God's Word doesn't try and talk around trouble. And men... All of us are at risk. And here's why I don't want to preach this sermon. I joke about it all the time. I'm, I'm sure that our pastor search committee looked at my resume and said, Whoa, that guy's done a lot of things. Why have I done a lot of things? It's not because I'm awesome. It's because I quit. In fact, I joke about it. I, I, I say, you yeah, know, I'm a serial quitter. And, and if you haven't figured me out yet, I suffer from joking because I suffer from anxiety and I joke when I'm anxious. I'm chronically anxious. 
which is why I don't sleep. And yesterday, I just got to share this, I quit. And don't be anxious because this morning I started again. <laughs> but but I, I'm, just, I'm just always living in this obsessive fear that I'm not going to last. 70% of Bible men didn't last. What hope do I have? What hope do any of us have? And, and so we come to this last chapter in this amazing book of Acts. And we see a man, a good man, many would call a great man, and we can also see how all of us might finish well. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to keep there because the, the passage is fairly lengthy. And just to bring us up to speed, just to remind you, when we last left Paul, this is before Advent um, season, he was stranded on an island that we know now is Malta. And actually, how we left him was a great plan that had gone awry. Remember that? He had this amazing plan on his next missionary journey to make it all the way to Spain. And in the process, he would just stop at Rome to be encouraged by Rome. He planned to go there with a great missionary plan. He didn't plan to go there in chains. But that's how he was going. They were shipwrecked on the island of Malta, even though the Apostle Paul had advised the captain and the centurion. It took a centurion, a whole segment of guards, to accompany this dangerous man to Rome to be tried by Caesar. And even though Paul said, look, this is a season where, where the winds get high in the Mediterranean, he knew because he was a seasoned traveler. He was a frequent missionary flyer. He knew when the winds got bad. He said, I don't recommend you go. If we, if we go now, we may lose life, and we'll certainly lose everything on this boat. And sure enough, they were shipwrecked. They arrived at the island of Malta. Everyone's biggest concern was that he was a sinner because, remember, he, he was gathering firewood to help make a fire. A viper was attracted to the warmth, latched onto his wrist. Everybody said, oh, this is the judgment of the gods caught up to this man. He's surely going to die. He shook off the viper into the fire. He didn't die. Then, that, then suddenly it wasn't the judgment of the gods. This man is a god, which was a platform for God's glory because the apostle said, no, let me share you this good news. He had extraordinary ministry on that island of Malta, and then they found a ship that would take them further. This is where we begin in verse 11. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Now, let me just be clear about this, because I feel nervous about the Christian community. We're becoming more and more like monks. Be, be, because you know, we don't want to listen to any kind of music unless it's Christian music. I haven't seen it yet here in Singapore, but in Malaysia, we have the Shepherd's Guide, which is like the Christian yellow pages. Because we Christians, we want to buy from a Christian shop that sells Christian things. Like, we want to go to a Christian supermarket that sells Christian milk produced by evangelized cows, <laughs> you know, 
And so, so we feel like if we're a part of anything in the world, then gospel can't, can't, be a, can't be set forth and God can't be glorified. Just let me point out that these were the twin gods of the constellation Gemini. This God had been, or this ship had been anointed by a pagan temple. But your God is so great, he can use anything as a vehicle for his gospel glory. Do not get broken down. How many of you have Christian dogs at home? Even your non-Christian dog can be a platform for God's glory. You know, American church planters, when they came to Canada, they had trouble meeting people. Because Americans, this is fascinating to me, they talk to strangers. Yeah, I mean, American culture is so warm and friendly. I mean, forget about what you read in the news. I went down to Canada. I was standing on the street corner in San Francisco, and some guy came up to me and said, hey, how are you doing? I was like, whoa. I don't know you. Uh, what do you want? And he was like, dude, I'm just saying hi. <laughs> you know, so Americans are so friendly. And then they came up to Canada, and it's colder in Canada, culturally. You know, we want everybody to like us because we're insecure, but, but we're not really that much into friends. So, so these church planners would come to me and say, so I, don't, I just don't know how to make a Canadian friend. I want, I want to make a friend so I can share the gospel. And, and I said, buy a dog. Canadians don't talk to strangers, but Canadian dogs will sniff any dog. <laughs> you see, God can use anything for His glory. Made in Singapore, Christian or not, anointed by two gods, with Gemini as a figurehead. That carried the missionary to the Gentiles. Secondly, um, here, here, by the way, is, is Malta. You can't even spot it on the map south of Sicily. The apostle was in that boat, Luke records, putting in it Syracuse. There's Syracuse. We stayed there for three days, I'm assuming to get more provisions. And from there, we made a circuit and, ride, and arrived at Regrium. After one day, a south wind sprang up. That means a favorable wind to go north to Rome. And on the second day, we came to Puteoli, which is now Napoli. There we found brothers and invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. Do I need to tell you that's not Rome, that's Napoli? So, so don't think, oh, this is a conflict in Scripture. This is simply Luke putting a full stop on the story of how they got there. Napoli is still in the region of Rome. It's not the city of Rome. They're destined for this city right here. So now we're where we need to be. How is this man, Paul the Apostle, great things he has seen the Lord done in his life, how is this man... How are any of us going to finish well? The first thing, avoid distractions. Now, Ed Stetzer is a friend of mine. He, he now is the director of the School of Missions and Evangelism at Wheaton College. And he has done some extensive research on why men fail. Let's be honest, this is a Christian research, so he's talking about why pastors fail. 
And, and by the way, 70% of men and women who graduated with a Master of Divinity in North America never do anything with their degree. They fail before they get a chance to fail. Of the 30% remaining, 70% of those don't finish well. Now, I'm not saying that they fail, they just don't finish well. There's lots of ways to not finish well. Here's the first way that all of us can finish well. Avoid distractions. Ed found out that people who finish poorly typically begin to fight over things that do not matter. They become distracted by perceived personal offenses. Don't put up your hand. How many of you know it? You choose to get offended. And you're offended a lot. That's a distraction. That's not what we have been called to. Jesus did not say to His disciples and to Grace Baptist Church, go ye therefore and get offended. Not by each other, not even by the culture of the world. Getting offended should not be a part of the Christian behavior. But it happens a lot. They become consumed with petty disagreements, personal preferences they allow to become convictions. Can I just say them? Like worship styles, dress code, minute theological nuances. This is a problem with every Christian theological movement. We start out loving everybody, big tent Christianity, Mahayana Christianity, and then we begin to fight over the distractions, the, the theological nuances that really don't matter, that don't impact anybody's eternal security, and then the tent gets smaller and smaller and smaller, and pretty soon we're going to a church that has 25 people who sincerely believe they're the only people going to be in heaven. Those are men who don't typically have a good ending. And one particularly huge distraction is hypocrisy. I'm talking about the hypocrisy I see in all of you, but don't see in me. That's the hypocrisy I'm talking about. Right, so several years ago, I was preaching at a friend's church in Malaysia, and after the sermon, he comes to me and apologizes. This always happens. It informs us what's really going on in the heart of the pastor. You know why he was apologizing? Hey, hey, uh, Ian, so sorry I saw a few people today. Because we, what we really want Ian to know is there are a whole ton of people in my ministry. But then he said this, hey, our people are lack commitment now. Child sick cannot come. Anti-visiting from Ipo also cannot come. And, you know, I, I know the feelings, so I was just like, oh, don't worry, brother. Those people who were there, they, they were brought there by God, and, and then later we were out for lunch, and then I just happened to notice that I hadn't spotted his kids there that day. 
And, and so I just asked, how, are, are your kids doing okay? He said, oh, yeah, yeah, my kids uh, got tuition on Sunday, cannot come. Uh. <laughs> Look, that's hypocrisy I can see in everybody else, but not in myself. Paul could have been distracted because he had a fairly significant distraction. And I love art, so I searched for paintings of the Apostle Paul and the soldier who guarded him. None that I liked. But here's a bit of biblical irony from Dr. Luke, who, who is very specific about what he writes. And when we came into Rome, that means into the city of Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself. That's awesome. I'm an introvert. I would love that. With the soldier who guarded him. That's not by himself. Right? That's a fairly significant distraction. Like, like so just think of all your distractions and, and think of your distraction as a, as a 90 kilo Roman soldier chained to you. It's hard to get over that. It's hard to focus on what you feel called to do, and yet somehow men who finish well are able to ignore the distractions and move ahead. Well, secondly, uh, men who finish well focus on the assignment. Now, I know you've heard of the term mission drift. Mission drift is actually a result of being distracted by the distractions. Um, all of us experience mission drift, uh, uh, particularly when you get old. Young people, that means over 30. Once you get over 30 and you have, uh, you know, responsibilities and sometimes children, that's when, you know, you, you lose focus, that you have mission drift. What does that look like practically day to day? That means you get up from your chair, you walk into a room, and, and you're like, oh, man. What did I come in here for? <laughs> and my next word is, sweetie, wh what did I come in here for? Because I believe she can read my mind. That's mission drift. Why do I have mission drift? Just from my chair to the room, because when I get up, I'm distracted by all the 90 kilo soldiers that are chained to my mind. All the things that cause me anxiety. We, we, we get distracted by them, and so we move from room to room and often forget, why in the world am I even here? Okay, put your seatbelts on, because some of us walked into this room and have no idea why we're here. We, we've forgotten the joy of the journey. We actually fear that there might be some initiative and we might get asked to do the assignment, even though the power and the joy is connected to the assignment. Some of us walked into this building and got distracted. We've forgotten about the assignment. We're thinking now it's about safety or room assignments. Like what are those CC doing block booking? We, we forget the assignments. We're in the room and there we're, we're wondering, why, uh, why am I here? 
the, the Apostle Paul wasn't distracted and he finished well because he remained committed to his assignment. Now, so, some, sometimes we, we think that, well, somebody else has got the assignment covered. This is a larger church or, or we pay our pastors to focus on the assignment. Or, or we tend to, you know, dis- distort it and distill it down to just one thing, like share the gospel. That's what I grew up with. But, but I want to be clear that the Apostle Paul did not believe that his assignment was simply to share the gospel. He, he believed that he was called to reach them with the gospel, to teach them with the gospel, and then trust them with the gospel. We can see this in his ministry. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he writes to Timothy and he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Clearly, the apostle Paul wasn't an immigrant. Um, this is another seatbelt moment. All of us are either immigrants or children of immigrants. And you know what salvation is for immigrants? It's hard work. You know how immigrants disciple? They work hard. And when immigrants work hard for their entire lives, they die and they're surprised that there's nobody ready to take over. Because we haven't followed the model of the Apostle Paul. For us, it was just us being faithful. But faithfulness means we have poured into the life of someone else who will be faithful. We reach them with the gospel. We teach them with the gospel. And then we say, it's your turn. We trust you with the gospel. That's why it's important, GBC, that we stop talking. Who was it that said this, that the youth, oh, I think it was Papa Bear, are not the next generation, they are the now generation. If we're not trusting them with the gospel right now, we are finished. Third, sorry, this is personal for me, reject Elder anger. It's fascinating to me that this came out in Ed Stetzer's survey that all of the men, every one of the men who failed, who ended poorly, they had anger issues. And um, uh, young people, let me just represent older people. I now make noise just when I turn my head. I can hear my, my bones cracking. That never happened to me before. It takes me so much longer to get up in the morning now because it hurts. In fact, I guarantee you, every one of the pioneers are saying to themselves right now, that's right, these pews are harder than they used to be. Not only that, it's harder to stay in them than it used to be. It's just difficult. And and that's why crankiness and, and old people are often associated, because honestly, we, we sometimes get up hurting. 
That, that's why my dad, in his, in his later years, I would ask him, Dad, how are you doing? He'd say, I'm like the church. Now, I heard it a thousand times, so I, you know, after the 200th time, I had it memorized. But the first time, I said, what do you mean like the church? He said, half my parts aren't working, the others are hurting. You see, when, when, when we get older, things are sore a lot. We have sweet memories, but none of those memories are today, by the way. In fact, today reminds us how much we liked yesterday all the time. And, and, and so, young people, be patient with us. We, we do sometimes get cranky, but these men who failed as pastors, they just gave in to their constant anger. They would publicly scold people. They would write emails to chastise someone publicly, meaning they wrote an email to a person and copied 10 other people. And after a while, the team, you know, they're willing to take some hits for the team. But after a while, they just, I can't take this. And they left. Men who don't finish well struggle in a swill of anger. But the Apostle Paul finished differently. Now, now this is remarkable to me. Do you realize that the very last letter the Apostle Paul wrote, he wrote while staying by himself with the soldier who guarded him. That letter is preserved for us in 2 Timothy. The very last book this man wrote was 2 Timothy. And if you have experienced everything this man experienced, all the betrayals, all the imprisonments, all the beating, you would think he would use this last tome to eviscerate everyone who ever caused him problems. And yet, as I read that book of 2 Timothy, I see just three themes. The joy of suffering, the perseverance of truth, and the goal of godliness. And that is why I believe he wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 and through 8, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. You see, the man who's establishing his own legacy is saying, Lord, fill me up. But the man who finishes well says, God, pour me out. Empty me for your glory. Empty me. This is a man who's resigned that his time is near. And so he writes, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I've finished my race. I've kept the faith. He is finishing well. There's one last thing. By the way, we keep saying we're going to have a clock, but <laughs> let that be a little distraction. Model the ministry of Christ. 
uh, Paul's identity was found in Christ, not in the work that he did for Christ. Did you hear that? His identity was in Christ, not in the work that he did for Christ. This is mission drift. We knew this at one time, but then we started working for him. And because we identify ourselves, we define ourselves by what we do, we started to feel about ourselves in direct correlation with all the good stuff we did for him. And so when that stuff begins to fall apart, when those people betray you, when people wander off saying, I was really never into it in the first place, we feel bad. We have anxiety. But the Apostle Paul was not focused on all the people who didn't work out. He wasn't focused on his work. He realized that he was the work. He realized this even in Ephesians chapter 2 when he wrote, but we are Christ's workmanship. Everything that has happened to him, the change, the beatings, is about Christ doing his sanctifying work in him. He was a living sacrifice. And you know what? Living sacrifices, they don't crawl off the altar. They cry out with the Apostle Paul, Lord, do your work in me. Pour out Paul. Pour out Ian so Christ can have full reign. That is why in verse 23, he was still focusing on the kind of ministry that Christ modeled. You, you may recall in the very first chapter of Romans, it was the first message we preached on this series, not ashamed. In verse 16, the Apostle Paul wrote to this Roman church, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first. Did you hear that? The Jew first and then the Gentile. Even this missionary to the Gentiles, arrived at Rome, and what is the first thing he does? He calls together all of the Jews in the city, and he shares with them, I want you to know why I'm here. I'm here because of the hope of Israel. It's not because I would ever speak anything bad about my people, my faith, my culture. I am in these chains because of the hope of Israel. And so they all gathered to listen to him, shared the gospel from morning until evening, he expounded to them. This is not the church at Rome. These are the, this is the Jewish community in Rome. And he testified, and this is important that we get this, to the kingdom of God. Remember, the kingdom of God is the rule of the king of creation in my life and yours. This was his 24-hour message to the Jewish people. And then he said this, because if you're following along in the earlier part of the scripture, the same thing happened. Some believed, 
Some got angry, and it created an argument. And Paul had one more word for them. Therefore, let it be known to you, as you reject this, the salvation of God has now been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. Now, this is listen in Greek, not listen in English. In English, it's, it's possible to listen but not respond. It's possible to listen and not hear. But, but in Greek, listen means respond, just like tinghua means obey, right? He's saying here, the Gentiles will respond. You're rejecting it, but the Gentiles will respond. Now, he's not just putting it back in their face. He's not trying to be argumentative. He's celebrating the word of the apostle, uh, the, sorry, the prophet Isaiah, who said, I'm trying to prepare you now for the Advent King, for the one who's coming. So right now, before his glorious work on the earth, Israel, enlarge the place of your tent. I'm about to adopt some children. Let the curtains of your inhabitants be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. The family is about to get bigger. This is why I believe in adoption. Because I am adopted. You have been adopted by the grace of God and the gospel. Good news is this, we have been adopted by the king of creation. This final word, here's how we began. The very first chapter in Acts, this, remember, is about Paul modeling the ministry of Jesus. In the first book, O Theophilus, this is Luke writing, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days. And what was he speaking about? He was speaking about the kingdom of God. These two chapters, chapter 1 and chapter 28, are like two bookends of a big story. It begins with proclamation on the kingdom of God. And how does it end? It ends with the Apostle Paul. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming what? The kingdom of God. Friends, if you, want, if you want to finish well, there's just two questions we need to ask ourselves. First question is, how am I living in such a way that my life is putting the work of Christ on display. Because everything else in your world is against, is hostile to that. Everything else in your world is telling you to put your work on display. That's why we're so easily offended. We think someone's speaking poorly about our work, our efforts, our ideas, but the assignment is to daily live so that Christ's work is on display in us. And then we need to figure out, how can we, every day, turn again to Him and say, Jesus, I'm getting off this throne again. Please sit and rule in me. Because if He does not rule in Ian, there is no way in the world Ian can
can succeed in putting his work on display. That's it. The last verse in Acts, and then it's over. If uh, you all were studying for this message, you would notice how disturbed historically theologians are that Luke doesn't properly finish the story. He doesn't write about Paul's death. Well, the ancient fathers do. Tertullian wrote and said that Paul died by the hand of Caesar in the same way that John the baptizer died. That's how we know he was beheaded. There's an apocryphal book. It's not included in the canon that we call the Bible. It's called the Acts of Paul. The only available manuscript is a Coptic manuscript. Lots of pages broken, lots of pages missing. But in this story, he tells whoever the author was, written approximately 116, or sorry, 160 AD, 160. In this story, Nero himself comes to the place where the Apostle Paul is living by himself with his soldier. And Nero comes to the Apostle Paul and says, is it true that you come proclaiming another king besides Caesar? It is true. And there are many like me, Caesar, all over your world who proclaim the same king. Are you looking to die in the first century? That's a good way to do it. The plan of going to Spain ended with that response. This church is built on the very place where Paul was executed. It's called St. Paul Church of Three Fountains. And sorry, this is like PG-13. Because his head was lopped off and bounced three times. And with every bounce, there was a red fountain. How is that finishing well? It's finishing well because he had done all that Christ had asked him to do. Some of you wondered how it is that Dr. P finished well. Who wants to finish in a hospital gurney all hooked up to monitors? That man finished well because he did all that Christ had asked of him. And in the end, he too was able to say with the Apostle Paul, I have finished the course. I've kept the faith. I want to ask you as we close this new year, are we going to finish well? Are you going to finish well? Are you going to be able to say with the Apostle Paul, I, I finished the course. I, I didn't try to set the course out. God set that course out. I finished it. I didn't try to live for myself, my resume. I tried every day, at least this day, to live for Him. I've already told you, I've confessed as your pastor. I'm a serial quitter. 
I quit every day. Not only do I quit every day pastoring you, I quit every day Jesus. Because I'm a man of flesh. And I'm a serial quitter. But every morning, I open my eyes and he meets me there. And I turn again to him. And then when Sherry gets up, I said, okay, I'm giving it another week. Which lasts a day. If I can do it and need to do it that way with two seminary degrees, I think you should try it. Some of you have repented of your sins and you did it too long ago. Others of us had an amazing encounter with the Lord, but you know what? You were 16 and a 16-year-old's encounter with the Lord is not enough, at least not for this 60-year-old man. Today is the last year, 2017. It's not the last year, it's the last day. But what if it was? Would you be able to look forward like the Apostle Paul and say, my end is nearing? And so right now, I want to do everything possible to make sure today and tomorrow and the day after every tomorrow, my life is simply a vehicle, a profane boat as it is for the work of Christ. I want to invite you to bow with me for just a moment. As our worship team is preparing, I want to invite you to do some business with God today. In the last day, the very last day of 2017, do you need to turn to Him? And, and if you're feeling uncomfortable, I apologize, but actually I'm blaming the YA. You know, they prepared a service for us tonight, and they sent me the reflection questions, and they crushed me. Because I was, I was forced to examine my own heart when we're not even having the Lord's Supper. At least I wasn't when I read those questions. But what better way to prepare for 2018 than in this last day of 2017 saying, Oh God, let me be the work. Let your spirit apply the hands of the worker. Break me and mold me. Restore the joy of my salvation. So that today and New Year's Day, I would be a worthy platform for your glory. Do you want to finish well? Do you want to be able to say with Dr. P and the Apostle P, I've finished the course, I've run the race, kept the faith. And would you just now, just right where you are, turn to the Lord and say, oh God.
I need to come home again. I need you to refresh joy. Perhaps the Lord Jesus, His model is, is too high, then give me the model of the Apostle Paul. Help me to avoid petty distractions. Remind me that I am here and full of your spirit to be on assignment. Help me to reject the anger of the weary and sore. Let me be the work of Christ in Singapore. Maybe you're here and you have never prayed a prayer like that. You don't consider your, yourself to be a believer that that's awesome. We welcome all to come. But, but if you're not yet a believer, I just want to remind you, you, you didn't come by accident. You didn't come just because a friend invited you or because you were curious, oh, this building is going up. You came because the God of heaven drew you here. He wanted you to know that even with only one day left, you can respond to Him. First John 1 John 1.9 says, Though we are all sinners, we all fall short. But He is faithful. He is faithful and righteous and will forgive us of all those things in every day that we have done and thought that have grieved Him. That's a promise for you today, friend. So if you are here and you've never prayed and said, Oh, Father God, I now believe that you are the creator of heaven and earth who poured all of your glory into the flesh of a Palestinian Jew who lived a perfect life and died on the cross so that I, a sinner, might know the righteousness of God. He will respond to that prayer. You don't have to say it out loud. Cry it out in your heart. You don't have to say it to me because I am unable to say it. But this, the God who heals the brokenhearted, the God who saves the God who lends His people righteousness and makes us just. That God, He is ready to receive you. Father God, I thank You that You are a God who responds when Your people cry out. We thank You that You are a God who is equipping us for glory. And even when the chains of our distractions are legion, you work to remind us there is an assignment. There is a way for good men and women to finish well. Put us on that way, we pray. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with us as we sing together?
standing as we close today's service with words from Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. The service is now over. You are dismissed after a moment of meditation. Have a great week ahead. <laughs>